0: Hey now we are getting over and i am the silver king adam silverstein here to lead you through these hard times Dad. and we are back to break down everything that went down in the wednesday night wars on aew dynamite and wwe nxt from wednesday night that is right we have an absolutely packed show as we're coming off Basically, the dynamite after Double or Nothing, you might as well call it something like that, a loaded edition of AEW immediately after the Double or Nothing pay-per-view just a couple days later, and a big edition of NXT that featured the first ever Fight Pit match in WWE history. We are going to talk a lot about that later. Before we get to the goodness, you know the drill. Five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. Need you now more than ever on that. If you listen to the show every week and you have not already left a review, and the truth is most of you have not, have not left ratings or reviews, please head over to Apple Podcasts and do just that. And if you have not told a friend or family member or co-worker about your favorite wrestling podcast, please do that as well. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you can follow myself personally at Silverstein Adam. But there's not much time to waste today because as I noted, we had two huge editions of professional wrestling television this past Wednesday night. And in order to get into it, you can tell I'm delaying because I'm trying to load the soundboard. We're gonna jump right into the main event. This is the main event. And this was a difficult choice for me because normally what I've been doing at least recently is you know, watching Dynamite, watching NXT, picking whichever show I thought is best from a, a critical perspective and putting it first. And this week, honestly, watching both shows, I thought they were pretty even. There was a real lot of goodness uh, going down on both AEW, Dynamite, and NXT. But this week, we're going to start with AEW because I felt it was a more important show. There were bigger headline items that actually occurred during Dynamite, and that is where we're going to begin this edition of getting over. As I noted a couple seconds ago, it definitely felt like AEW was purposely trying to make this edition of Dynamite their version of Raw after WrestleMania. And I feel like they were successful to some degree. Certainly, we had a surprise debut, a couple of you know storyline changes that we weren't expecting, and then the big blow-off main event. And that is really what you get from a Raw after WrestleMania. It sets the storylines going forward for the company, into their next pay per view, which for WWE, of course, is SummerSlam, and for AEW is All Out. Uh, speaking of Raw, and I'm sure others have noticed this before. Maybe it's because I watch AEW on DVR, I watch NXT live, so I don't see their intro every week. You know, the the theme and the graphics. I fast forward it a little bit, but that package is very similar to me to the Raw is War theme and you know, graphic package and and even the way like it crescendos to a finish and then you get the fireworks afterward, the pyro, it's just it was all very similar to me. I'm not saying that as a bad thing. The Raw's war uh, beginning, the intro to that show is classic and and it got you so excited for what was going to come next on TV. And I think Dynamite succeeds in the very same way. So I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure others have pointed that out before. I don't think it ever really hit for me, but I noticed it certainly this past Wednesday night. Um, you know, opening the show with the inner circle backstage That stuff's great, and it's two weeks in a row they've done it. I much prefer them having some type of lighthearted comedy or, you know, just getting Chris Jericho basically on the screen to start the show, as opposed to just going with a Cody match or a Cody segment, which is what they had done the prior, like, four weeks to that. So like that they did that. Um, You know, the party in the ring, we're going to get, we're going to jump right to the main event, and then we'll talk about the rest of the show. The, The party in the ring, the pep rally, it was pretty bad. Um, you know, I don't think there's much that Chris Jericho has ever done that is not good. But once the combat contingent came out, so Mike Tyson, Henry Cajudo, Rashad Evans, Vitter Belfort, once they all came out, yes, as JR would say, business did pick up. I was really 50-50 on the entire segment, though, between liking it and kind of cringing a little bit at it until uh, you know, Jericho and Tyson got in each other's face and that was really good. But even then it was still eh for me. But once the pull apart started happening and the wrestlers flooded out of the locker room, yeah, akin to how it happened in WWE with Tyson and Austin, sure. But once they got separated and Jericho's like pushing Colt Cabana down off the ring apron and Mike Tyson really sold it for me. Not just that they were holding him back, but the second wave, there's always that second wave in pull-apart brawls where you're calm down. You're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to go back fine, whatever. But then Tyson tried to go at Jericho a second time. When he did that, and I saw the passion in his eyes, and I saw that this is something that he seems to really be wanting or, or involved in, um, that kind of lifted me to say, wow, this is a really cool segment that AEW has Tyson in this role to do it. Yeah. Is Tyson washed? Of course he is. He's older. You know, it's, it's Tyson. And are Kahuto and Rashad Evans and, and Vitor Belfort, are they all contemporary major stars? I mean, Cahuto is, yeah. Uh, the others are, you know, past uh, generation uh, of major talent. But that doesn't really change the fact that this was entirely done purposefully and as it should, it should be to get mainstream media appeal. And it succeeded. It was, you know, ESPN had a story on its homepage. CBS Sports had one. I saw numerous headlines coming out of Wednesday night, and that is exactly what AEW should be doing. Um, I don't exactly know where it's going to go. I think that it's pretty clear they're making a star play for a Jericho Tyson match, presumably at All Out. But that's a ways away. I mean, that's later in the year, I think, in September, right? So we have a long way to go to to get to that. Uh, There were certainly pictures that surfaced over the weekend of Tyson and some of the MMA guys uh, cavorting with the AEW talent at a party in Jacksonville, which again, you know, (laughs) you're socially distancing, but you're having parties, but whatever. Um, You know, hopefully everyone was tested before that, but, but so clearly there's some type of relationship brewing and I do like that, you know, uh, WWE is not going to have the the grip or the reins on... Outside talent being involved in professional wrestling, and certainly Mike Tyson is a huge step up from the Arrow Dude, whose name, unfortunately, uh, Stephen Amell. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, was escaping me for a second there. But but getting Tyson involved and even Cahuto involved now that he's quote unquote retired from UFC, even though I don't think people actually believe that they think it's a ploy to get more money out of Dana White. Uh, getting them involved there is great. And Rashad Evans certainly a huge UFC name from back in the day, and he's still kind of around the sport, so he's still you know, on people's tongues and people see him. Um, I just thought it was a good segment. You know, I saw some people tweeting me that they hated it. I, I don't necessarily buy that. I think AEW accomplished exactly what it needed to by doing this. And the question now is, how do they pay it off? Because you're going to get Jericho and Tyson probably a couple more times on Dynamite. Uh, they're also going to need to come up with something for Jericho to bide the time until that match can actually happen. Assuming we get that match, assuming Tyson doesn't just enlist another AEW wrestler to be his man, to take his place in a match against Jericho. Uh, I think we're gonna get Jericho and Tyson. I think that's 100% the plan for All Out. And Jericho is really the right guy to do it. But I do have some DMs here, so let me get to those. First one coming in from Robert at Bobby Og, Aug, A U G. He says, With it looking like Jericho's gonna feud with Tyson, uh, do you think he may be entering a Hollywood Hogan stage in his career where he has feuds with celebrities and old foes? This can keep him in the limelight while being out of the title picture? If so, would you be in favor of it? Uh, I don't really know that Jericho needs to have multiple feuds with celebrities. This is unique. Mike Tyson is different. He's a big crossover star, a little bit less now, certainly than he used to be, but he's still a huge name. And when that video surfaced of him a couple of weeks ago, like just throwing punches in the gym and kind of shadow boxing, and there's an idea, I guess, that he's going to do some type of charity fight with Evander Holyfield. Um, I mean, that's still exciting. Yeah, even in 2020. So for Jericho to do something with Tyson, I love it. Do I need him, you know, suddenly having numerous celebrity feuds? I don't. And I think Chris Jericho's, you know, use for AEW is beyond that. He doesn't need to feud with celebrities or old foes. What he needs to do is feud with young talent and put them over in AEW, and I think that's what he's going to do. I mean, eventually at some point it might even be a year from now. You're going to get a Sammy Guevara, Chris Jericho feud. And Guevara is going to go over and it's going to be fantastic, right? Um, but you want Jericho to, to feud with Kenny and you want him to feud with Hangman again, maybe in, in a non-title situation where Hangman one day becomes number one contender. Um, you want more Jericho mocks and and these are the people you want him working with. So you know, the Tyson thing's great and it, it's good for now. But no, I, I do not see and I certainly do not hope that Jericho goes on a string of celebrity matches, and I don't want more former wrestling stars coming into AEW for him to fight. I don't need McFoley showing up and, and Jericho and him rumbling around the ring, you know, for ten minutes for a match. It just it's not really going to work for me. So, um, look, Chris Jericho is the straw that stirs the drink. They said that they used to say that about Reggie Jackson back in the day. He's the big name. He puts butts in seats. He is still a draw. I love using him to open Dynamite. I love using him on all the advertisements because if you're a wrestling fan and certainly if you're a former disillusioned WWE fan, then a name like Chris Jericho is gonna get you to kind of say, hey, you know what? I wanna see what this product is about. And if you watch an episode of Dynamite and and the last couple have been really good, you might stay and you might DVR record that for the following week. So I think that's exactly the point of Chris Jericho. Another DM slide from Marcus at M underscore Hazarin. Uh, he said, Do you, did you think Henry Cajudo looked super out of place? He said he has interest in WWE, but he seemed clueless tonight. I, I mean, I just think Cahuto looks out of place everywhere at all times. I mean, I think his nickname is, what well, I'm not a huge MMA guy, but I think his nickname is like the King of Cringe, right? Well, I mean, you know, that's kind of what he was like there. I thought uh, Belfort was the clear number two. He looked like the guy next to Tyson who you believe that he's involved in, and, he, and he, he has an eye for it. Uh, Rashad was kind of the muscle, I would say, of the group, and, and he looked really solid as well. You know, Rashad, Rashad Evans, um, he's been around the office a couple times uh, where I work, and I've been able to hang out with him socially once or twice. Really, really super nice guy. Um, You know, for a former UFC heavyweight, the guy's cut down a significant amount of weight. He's in incredible shape. So seeing Rashad Evans there, like someone I actually... Kn- I don't know him, like we're certainly not friends, but... Uh, someone who is an acquaintance who I've, you know, gotten the chance to work with over the last couple of years. Uh, Seeing him show up randomly on AEW TV was really strange for me. And I know Brian Campbell, who uh, is the host of the State of Combat podcast and certainly uh, writes uh, combat sports for CBS Sports. State of Combat's the old show I used to be on. Rashad Evans is his MMA co-host. So I'm sure that at some point they're going to talk about this. Um, But BC, I know was watching uh, AEW for the first time in like three or four months. He's been out of wrestling for a while and he popped really big seeing Rashad on TV. He didn't even know he was gonna be there. So um, excited to see what happens with this entire contingent. My hope is that we get Chris Jericho versus Mike Tyson. Jericho has the inner circle on his side. Tyson has those guys and maybe a wrestler or two. And that's the end of it. They do it at All Out and hopefully that's it. But it's a good promotional tool, good for AEW. Um, and good for Mike Tyson. It was really great to see him in a professional wrestling ring, which, strangely, after all the other uh, appearances he's made over the years, including the one Chris Jericho referenced from 2010 on Raw, um, where he basically just knocked the shit out of him, um, he seems in place in professional wrestling. And, and it was great to see him back again. All right, rest of the AEW Dynamite Show. Uh, fun opening match as well. Uh, Matt Hardy, I've said this before, but he looks totally rejuvenated in the ring. I don't know if it's just because he had so much time not actually wrestling for WWE that he, he was able to heal himself and, and maybe he learned some new tricks uh, in terms of training, but he looks great. And I mean, I think what did he do you do a moonsault off the top rope onto three dudes? It looked totally natural and normal. And this guy's you know, he's pushing it age wise, but it looks like he does have a couple years left. Um, Do I love the Damascus gimmick and the broken gimmick? No, I do think it is tired. I wish he would reinvent himself once more and become something different in AEW. But aside from that, um, you know, I started really bearish, uh, was it bullish and bearish, bearish on Matt Hardy, I think is bad. I'm not, Obviously, as you can tell, I'm not a really big stock market guy. Um, but the last couple of weeks, real bullish on him, really starting with that street fight on Dynamite. Ever since then, I've been really liking what Matt Hardy's been doing. Of course, coming out of that, uh, FTR made their debut, and that was a really nice surprise. It did feel slightly empty to me. As they came in, they saved the Young Bucks, but at the same time, while I did feel a little bit empty with the debut, it left me wanting to know more. I am curious. Hey, they helped, they saved the Young Bucks, but at the same time, maybe we're going to attack them, but the Young Bucks were paying attention, so they didn't. Certainly, it seems like they've been teasing this for multiple weeks on uh being the elite, but that is a show that personally, I watch like four at a time, so I watch it once a month. It's To keep up with it every week with my schedule just doesn't work, and it's also recently has not been good enough to get me to watch it every single week. But I will catch up with those, I guess, probably this week or next week, and maybe there's some more teases in there that I didn't see previously. I saw the Cloud one, but outside of that, I haven't watched since then. So I am curious to see what happened on Being the Elite with FTR. Um, But yeah, I am excited to have them in AEW. I think it's obviously the right decision for their careers. Uh, the tag team division in AEW is loaded, yet, despite it being loaded, we're going to talk about in a moment why it ain't really working out in the tag team title picture, at least right now, as far as far as I'm concerned. But nevertheless, really good to see FTR. Um, the, they, their, you know, drive into Daly's place was far better than Cody's. And you're going to say, what was the difference, right? Well, they had a car that really fit their personality, number one, an old school, like muscle type of car. That made sense. Uh, They also didn't just like tap a gate and knock it down as if that was some badass move. They just drove up to where there was a gap and walked in. Again, I I probably would have preferred if they had come out of like the tunnel um, or even through the crowd or something like that, which I guess technically they did come through the crowd. Uh, Stop using the car, pull up. I mean, they've already done it twice now in three weeks. Like, all right, let's do something different. You know what I mean? But um, I did like to see them. Uh, it was a little strange, I guess, hearing their new names, but you know we'll roll with that. And I'm sure that they're going to get over pretty quick and in a significant way in AEW. So really nice to see both of them in AEW. Uh, the additions of Brian Cage and to a lesser extent Brody Lee, they do really show how small that AEW roster was from a body size standpoint. Cage, you know, came in for a squash, looked really good. Uh, You know, For as good of a job as Taz has done on commentary so far in AEW, I saw a lot of people praising his promo. I thought it was rough. I thought he was all over the place, uh, confusing where he was going, messing up a few times. But the way he concluded that promo by giving Cage his signature catchphrase was great. And you could see that Jon Moxley wasn't expecting it. And he got popped when he heard it. Um, You could see his facial reaction. So I really thought that was great. Uh, Cage Moxley. Look, I don't think Cage is going to take the title off Moxley at Fighter Fest. AEW doesn't even know yet when Fighter Fest is going to be, except to say this summer. Uh, But it does seem weird that there's a number one contender for the title. And we're going to be waiting, what, at least two months for him to get a title shot. I would just do it on an episode of Dynamite. In the main event, 25, 30 minutes. After weeks of loving Britt Baker's work, Uh, This past week, I'm going to go ahead and give it a 0.0. Yeah, a big fat zero. It just didn't work for me. She has been really good recently, that segment. Uh, Fell flat. I didn't think the crowd reacted on purpose because it wasn't really solid, and they tried to do a little bit too much with someone who was kind of confined to a wheelchair when people really just wanted an update, and you didn't really get that update until the very, very end. I was disappointed that the Adam Hangman page and Kenny Omega drinking segment was done uh, in the commercial break in the side window as opposed to actually during a segment of the show because it looked hysterical having those two in a hotel room drinking together. They obviously teased it earlier in the show uh, in the opening segment or one of the opening segments with the Elite backstage with Matt Hardy and basically Paige saying, hey, I'm going to go off drinking and Omega saying, hey, I'm going to join you. Uh, and then they only paid it off with that commercial break segment. And I know that if you're on Fight TV, you got to see it in full, but you don't in America And to see like Kenny Omega showing like that much personality and there's the milk jug in the ice bucket as if it would be like a a bucket of beer. I just thought it was really funny and I kind of wanted to hear the conversation between them. I wanted to know what they were saying. Uh, Hangman Page seemed to play it off as if he didn't know there was a hidden camera there and therefore, you know, that's why it wasn't on TV. But I just think it was a missed opportunity and something really funny. Uh, I do have some DMs though about these two. So uh, let's get to them right now. They're both coming from Chad Placinka at I Don't Exaggerate. Is it possible that Omega's lighter AEW in-ring load thus far has something to do with him being the executive vice president and all the wear and tear he endured towards the end of his New Japan run? Maybe he needed a year to heal a bit and learn the executive side of a promotion. Uh, You know, Omega's been on TV enough that I don't really think he has a lighter load. He's just not getting the, the pushes that one would expect from a main eventer in AEW. And Omega is a main eventer. He really is the best wrestler in the entire world, and he's the best wrestler in their company and one of their top personalities. So there's no lighter in-ring load. I mean, he is the tag team champion. He is wrestling all the time. He's had a number of really good matches. Uh, But at the same time, um, you know, he hasn't gotten that push yet. And I don't think it is them concerned about favoritism or anything like that. It's just the direction they're going with him right now. Probably a slow burn to him eventually being AEW champion, in another nine months or a year. At least that's what I would hope. Um, But, you know, there is a point about the wear and tear. And I do think that early on, uh, when he first joined the company, you have to remember AEW started a year ago this January. So, you know, 17 months ago it's been around. And for those first few months, yeah, he only wrestled here and there because they weren't running shows. So I think he already has healed up. Uh, Now it's just a matter of what are they going to do with him? And, And clearly they have a plan for this tag team angle. With Hangman Page, and I do like them together as a tag team. They're working off each other really well. But at the same time, uh, I kind of want more for both of them. And I know that Hangman was quarantined at home, and therefore he wasn't able to defend the titles and be on TV a lot. Uh, But now they are. And now that they're both on TV, I want these titles defended and I want to see them frequently. And I think we're going to get some of that coming up, considering there's now two number one contenders. For the Tag Team Championships, and we're going to talk about that momentarily. But Chad does have a second DM. And the second DM is questioning Hangman Page's borderline alcoholic gimmick. Is it really okay? It's clearly different than Stone Cold's, which never got in the way of his in-ring business. That was more of a celebration. This seems far more of an addiction. I'll quote you from the podcast when you said, while somewhat serious, they've used Hangman for comedy. But drinking problems aren't funny. He's prioritized drinking over helping his friends. He's missed responsibilities. And he's always drinking. How far can they push this? It's a fair point. Um, I think that they're towing the line is the best way I can put it. There are drinking problems where people drink a lot of alcohol, binge drinking. And then there are, you know, there's alcoholics. And I cannot thread that needle because I am not a specialist in addiction, nor am I going to claim that I am. But while AEW is showing that he likes to drink his problems away, they're not showing that his alcoholism is getting in the way of his production. Is he sometimes showing up late? Yes. But what's he ultimately doing when he gets there? He's saving his friends. He's operating the best he has in his career in the ring. You know, he's he's a tag team champion. Uh, he's doing great in matches. Um, and, but he's taking this different approach, right? So, you know, they're towing that line where they're not saying he's an alcoholic, but they are saying that he has a drinking problem. And I know that is a line that many think is blurred, uh, but that's just kind of the best way I can describe it. So, you know, I think it's fair to question it. If you are someone who has that as a part of your life or your family or a friend or anything like that, then I could see it rubbing you the wrong way completely. But I do actually think AEW ultimately has a plan for him to get through and get over this. And because of Kenny, I'm starting to wonder if it might be through him. If Kenny, you know, they lose the titles at some point and Kenny tries to like resuscitate his 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 life uh, and get him away from alcohol, con- considering Kenny is dry, he's a sober guy, he doesn't drink, which is clearly what the milk is all about. And he either gets him addicted to milk instead of alcohol or eventually they have a match and Kenny wins and kind of then lifts him out of it and helps elevate him into the main event. I, I hope it's something like that, but I don't know the direction they're going. And for them to tell this long of a story with Hangman Page and have us questioning what they're going to do with it and even questioning the storyline itself, to me, that's what wrestling's all about. So uh, it's a little bit more adult, sure, but AEW is a little bit more of an adult show. So I have no issue with them doing it as long as they keep being careful like they have been to this point. Uh, I did now, moving on with the rest of the show, I did get a chuckle out of Cody's, I don't think I'm well-liked in Connecticut line, uh, but the EVP saying he has a chip on his shoulder because Tony Khan called him fourth, rang hollow. I mean, it'd be one thing if Tony Khan called him 80th, I mean, he's comparing himself to Tom Brady. Tom Brady was the 199th pick in the NFL draft, Cody being the fourth call simply because Tony called the Young Bucks first, which are two. And then I'm assuming Kenny Omega may be second, who's the third. Uh, You know, that doesn't really make me think that he's a common man by any means. He's certainly not Dusty Rhodes uh, in terms of what he's had to work up from in his career, just because he had to start at the bottom. He still started at the bottom in WWE. So the promo rang hollow for me. It didn't work at all. I saw people saying it's another great Cody promo. No, it wasn't. Cody has had some really damn good promos this year. Uh, maybe he will end up having the promo of the year by the time the year is said and done. This was not that. Uh, The only thing that I was happy with is I am glad the TNT title is going to be a TV title, as it should be considering what it's called, and defended every single week. That said, um if they're going to be doing an open challenge every week, then MJF, being 8-0 and and atop the men's rankings, That should be plenty for him to get the first shot or any shot or a shot at the title anytime he wants. There shouldn't need to be a battle royal to determine an opponent. Um, You should, If it's an open challenge, then anyone can come out and challenge you. And again, if the battle royal gimmick was only because it's the first challenger, then MJF cutting a promo saying it should have been him, but someone in the office is standing in his way. Okay, but I mean, how often is that used? The, the someone in the office is standing in my way. The guys, and no, he should be going into the office and demanding a title shot and getting it against Cody. Um, they just didn't want to pull that trigger. So what I would have done is I would have left him out of the Battle Royal completely. I know they wanted to do it to kind of tease this MJF-Wardlow split up, which they did first in the backstage promo and then they did again in the ring when MJF accidentally hit him with the ring, uh, meaning the diamond ring. But... Yeah, uh, it just didn't work for me from a logic standpoint, and I'm going to call that out every time I see it. Uh, I did like Jungle Boy winning, though. That's the right call, and I do think the Cody-Jungle Boy match next week is going to be fun. Uh, you know, speaking of number one contenders, I mentioned this briefly earlier, the, there's really some strange number one contendership reasoning that best friends who won at Double or Nothing, the number one contendership match, now have to wait for their title match at Fighter Fest. While AEW named a second number one contender with Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc, a team that has barely competed, at least on Dynamite. Maybe they've been on Dark. I don't really watch that uh, due to to time restraints. Um, Now they're the number one contenders and they get a match first with Best Friends getting the pay-per-view number one contendership match. Really strange, shitty logic. Don't like it at all. You don't need two teams that are number one contenders. And honestly, neither of these teams do anything for me, nor do I think either of them should win. So really you're just biding a significant amount of time until FTR or the Young Bucks or SEU or someone else, hopefully Phoenix gets healthy and Pentagon can get into America from Mexico at some point. There's a lot of great, great tag teams in AEW, but basically none of them are competing, or if they are, they're not competing in the tag team title picture. So that is something that they need to fix. You will notice I went through uh, this entire thing without talking about uh, Hiroshida. That's because the match was a squash. It was fine. Um, look, AEW can talk about being diverse and, and treating women equal as men. But you tell me um, when we get you know, two women's matches and two women's segments in the same show. It doesn't happen very often. And when it does, mostly it's a throwaway. So they need to really step up with the way they're treating that division. And they also need to grow that division somehow, seemingly losing Diana Prazo to Impact, although that may be temporary, we'll see. Uh, that's a big loss. It was a good move for Perazzo going to Impact. They have a great women's division, maybe second only to WWE. And it may even be better than one of the individual brands in WWE, maybe better than the SmackDown brand or the Raw brand you pick. Um, but it's right there, that impact knockouts division or whatever they're calling it these days. So good for Diana Peraza to go over there, but big miss for AEW. And they do need to add some women's talent and they need to get them on television. And I think um, you've seen really over the last couple of weeks that Hiroshida really solid, Nyla Rose getting a lot better, uh, but Statlander's gimmicks holding her back and some of the other women aren't really living up to the expectations right now. Okay. That's AEW, we're gonna move on to NXT, which again, I was just as equally excited about, but there probably is less to talk about. We're gonna start, folks, with the damn Fight Pit, which totally exceeded expectations. The setup was awesome with no ropes and the scaffolding above the cage. That match started red hot, and while I hated that it was 16 minutes with a commercial break, the fact that it was given three or four extra minutes compared to recent NXT main events Made all the difference. But as I've said before, that bell should ring on an, on an NXT main event with no less than 20 minutes left in the show, knowing you're getting a commercial. This match, you could have given me another, honestly, you could have given me another 30 minutes. I want I would have loved it. But five or 10 more with maybe that the finish, what and we'll talk about it in a second, being a false finish, and then giving us a second finish would have taken that match from like four and a half stars to five stars. You can tell I'm pumped. I really, really liked it but they started out the match with that showtime kick from Riddle, uh, showing the blood coming out of Thatcher's mouth, knocked out a couple teeth, really gruesome. You had angle concern, the doctors came out, and that was a very smart way to take us into a commercial break that probably no one would have actually wanted in that match. To have a medical stoppage of some type made a lot of sense. It was awesome, the fight in general, totally brutal. I mean, you have Matt Riddle doing a corkscrew off the scaffolding and landing it perfectly on Thatcher. That was incredible. I did think the finish was a bit anticlimactic with the rear naked choke and Angle kind of dismissing Riddle pretty quickly for being knocked out. And then Riddle immediately waking up as soon as Thatcher kind of rolled off him. I would have liked to have seen Angle like fighting with himself over whether to call the match, knowing that Riddle's an MMA guy and maybe lifting his arm once, but seeing a little bit of life waiting a little bit, and then seeing Riddle totally pass out, lifting his arm a second time, and then calling the match. But I did think, you know, because it was knockout or submission, those were the only ways to get out. You really don't want Riddle submitting to Timothy Thatcher, like actually tapping out. And you don't want him getting knocked out from a punch or ramming his head into the steel or something like that. The rear naked choke was the correct finish. I just, I wish they had kind of done it earlier, had Riddle come back from it. And then had Thatcher lock it in a second time to a a man in Riddle who was maybe a little concussed, a little tired, um, and then that finishing the match. But that's a match that had it been done a few months ago and had they decided to keep Riddle in NXT, if he won the match, would have vaulted him into the main event picture and people would have been saying, you need to put the title on Matt Riddle immediately. He is red hot. But knowing what we know about his future, that he's headed to the main roster and specifically SmackDown, Uh, The decision to have Thatcher go over certainly makes sense. It was a damn good way for Riddle to go out. It is also fair to ask whether this match should have been saved for In Your House. Uh, We'll talk a little bit later where it seems like NXT may be going in a theatrical direction for one match. Well, if they were going to do that, this should have been that special match, the Fight Pit. It is awesome. Um, I need more. I need more Fight Pit. It would be great if this is a signature match going forward. For the NXT brand, not only between NXT superstars, but where they're even reaching across to the main roster to challenge people or people from the main roster are so enticed by the idea of the fight pit that they want to come down to NXT, quote unquote, and then challenge for it. Could you imagine seeing Daniel Bryan without much to do, you know, going after Kyle O'Reilly or Timothy Thatcher in the fight pit, Um, you know, Cesaro wanting to come down, Shinsuke Nakamura, There's a lot of legit people. I mean, hell, Shayna Baszler against another woman, you know, Um, maybe Shayna Baszler against uh, Sonya Deville, if you could make it work that way, right? So, So this fight pit really, really needs to be an NXT signature match. And whoever came up with it, really smart, because it took the lion's den, which was really good for Ken Shamrock, and it worked at that time, it modernized it to 2020, and I'll tell you, if Tyson wasn't in the main event of, of AEW, people would be talking about Fight Pit today, as awesome as it was. And hopefully that a lot of people tuned in for it because it was fantastic. And you can tell I'm pumped. I was really, really excited to see it. And we do have some DMs coming out of this as well. First one from Nick Z at bony 93 uh, The bro stoner gimmick is a little annoying for Matt Riddle. I get it. I get it is who Riddle is, but I'm curious if that lowers his ceiling. No, uh, it's unique, it's different, uh, it is likable, and it is also Riddle has also proven that with the gimmick he can be both a face or a heel. I think with this gimmick, the way Riddle is, it's his real personality. It's not really that much of a gimmick. That's, that's really the thing. This is Matt Riddle. Um, certainly I've spoken to him individually in interviews and he's a little bit less dim. Um, he's very eloquent and he, he can speak his mind. But nevertheless, this is a real version of Matt Riddle, and I think it's gonna propel him to superstardom on the main roster. So very, very excited to see Riddle hopefully on SmackDown, or hopefully on Raw is where I really want him, but on SmackDown soon, and I'm really curious to see how quickly they vault him into that main event picture. Sean McDermott at I'm Bored Brother. If that's truly it for Riddle and NXT, how would you rate his time there? He has world champion potential on the main roster, but only ended as a former tag team champion. Yeah, um, they had different storylines going while Riddle was in NXT, and he was kind of a victim of that circumstance. You know, Adam Cole and Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano, that was a really big storyline. But, you know, Riddle probably at some point, if that had not been going on and it had not been delayed as long as it had been due to injury and storyline changes, um, Riddle probably would have been a, a world champion, an NXT champion at some point. I mean, you look at Keith Lee, it took a while for him to get going. Now he's North American champion and you're kind of like, you know, it's fine, but we're not seeing him much. He's only fought the big dudes. Yeah, he does have that match with Johnny Gargano coming up. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, But we kind of want to see more from Keith Lee as well, right? So Lee, hopefully he gets a good feud in with Gargano, maybe has one more, drops the title, heads up to the main roster, or at least heads into the main event of NXT. Did they miss it with Riddle not being... In the, w, in the NXT championship picture? They probably did. But again, victim of circumstance, given the storylines they've been trying to tell with Cole, Champ, and Gargano and injuries for multiple people in that factoring in, uh, the pandemic factoring in, you know, Riddle just kind of got the unlucky end of the straw there, but he's a big time talent. And I don't think his lack of title success, quote unquote, in NXT is going to affect him at all in the main roster. We have one more DM here. Atish Tiwari at Atish911. Hey, Adam, as you pointed out last week, considering Thatcher's limited mic skills yet incredible grizzled grappling mat wrestling skills, what is his true ceiling in NXT in your opinion? You know, I don't think it's high. Uh, I thought he was great in this match. It probably used Thatcher to the absolute best of his abilities. Maybe this is a signature... NXT type of match for Thatcher in particular, not just NXT in general? And if so, then yes, there is the Kyle O'Reilly. There are some of the British dudes that you know will be able to come in and grapple with him. It would be interesting to see more fight pit stuff with Thatcher, but do I see him as NXT champion? No. Do I see him as North American champion? Given the right circumstances, potentially. Um, Tag team champion again, maybe if he finds the right partner. But I think he's, I, I hate to use this term, like he's a hand, he's a Cesaro, basically. He's someone who, you know, is limited in some ways, but exceedingly talented in other ways. And I don't think that's the worst spot for him to be in. So as long as NXT continues to find ways to use him, then I do have a really good feeling that they're, they'll maximize his skill set. But I don't see him being a main roster superstar unless they run into a gimmick or a personality or something that really clicks and just ends up working for him to such a degree that he gets over that he they have no choice but to elevate him. But right now, I don't really see that happening for a while, if ever. Uh, now, moving on to the rest of NXT. The crowd for Raw was great, all things considered, but I thought it was really weak for NXT. The negative reactions were just long strings of boo, boo, where you kind of want them to say things, right? And get the heels, you know, riled up to some degree. I, I thought it was pretty weak the way that crowd acted on NXT, and with there being far fewer people, they weren't as loud, and none of them were across from the hard cam, so you didn't see anyone in the normal shot. So really, the Full sale crowd versus the Performance Center crowd, night and day, uh, the Performance Center crowd is, is way better, and I hope that we get that more on SmackDown this upcoming Friday. Uh, we did see Drake Maverick advance out of Group A in the Cruiserweight Triple Threat match, for the, in the tournament. Uh, it was very entertaining and a good effort from all three. I'm just not sure I would have opened the show with it. I also don't really like that they're letting the finish stand as it was. Considering Kushida both simultaneously with Maverick got a pinfall victory because his legs were draped over uh, Jake Atlas and they showed after the commercial break or at some point in the show they showed a replay where uh, Jake Atlas was submitting before the pinfall even counted. So, you know, NXT is going with, hey, the referee's decision is final. Sure, but you also have the best general manager commissioner in all of of professional wrestling right now, in William Regal, who has been known to come in and make things right. So if anything, this should probably be a triple threat match, or at least one more Kushida Drake Maverick match, uh, because they both beat Atlas. Clean, it was obvious. And Kushida beat him twice. Uh, So I just didn't like it. Um... You know, I I know what they were going for, and I, I respect that. But it was very sloppy if you actually consider the logic behind it. And I don't really know what WWE is going to do with Maverick. I do not think he's going to beat Elio de Fantasma. Ultimately, I think Fantasma is going to win the cruiserweight title as he should. But Maverick, to me, if this was a legitimate situation with him being let go and and them him saying, "Hey, I want to come back and finish this tournament." He's shown enough, more than enough, to deserve being a full-time WWE superstar again to be re-signed. And if not, then WWE did him a hell of a service, allowing him to go out in this manner with this much TV time and totally getting over. So good luck to him if it's away from WWE, but I do hope that he has shown enough in this short period of time to get a new contract um, and get re-signed despite the fact that he was actually legitimately released. I said last week that I was not thrilled with the on-screen Keith Lee, Mia Yim pairing, despite their real life relationship. And nothing has really changed there. Um, It was a comedy segment that they did, you know, mocking the dinner with the Garganos. It fell flat. There was a total lack of intensity across the board with another couple's feud. And it just feels totally forced that they said, oh, they happen to be a couple. Let's just go in that direction when Keith Lee versus Johnny Gargano would have been totally fine. I would have preferred a Lee versus Gargano feud LeRae getting involved, Yim then involving herself, Yim and LaRay having their own storyline, and then Gargano and Keith Lee continuing their storyline into another month. That would have been far better, but instead, they're just hot-shotting this. It seems like they're going to have a title match in your house between Keith Lee and Johnny Gargano, which I'm sure is going to be great. I can't wait to see them work together, but what you, I'm going to assume that Keith Lee retains, and then what's next? A tag-team mixed match on NXT, and then that's it, right? So... Just not really working for me. Uh, Keith Lee is a very unique personality. And I feel like having Mia Yim on screen with him only brings him down. And that's not an offense to Mia Yim, who I think is fine on her own. But the pairing of them on screen does not work the way that the Gargano-Candice pairing works. It doesn't work the way the Becky Lynch-Seth Rollins pairing works. Um, It just doesn't work for me. So not a fan of it. Like both of them, like all four. Uh, but I did think it was kind of cool to have Tegan Knox be the delivery driver uh, in that segment. That was pretty funny. Uh, speaking of her, I was surprised how much I liked the Raquel Gonzalez Shotzi Blackheart match. I'm glad Shotzi's okay after that trust fall, which was an awesome sight, but also brutal the fact that they didn't really catch her. She was great in the ring here, which is no surprise. She is really talented. Whatever they can do to distance Shotzi from that vignette a week ago please do it. Just get me as much as uh, you can as her being awesome in the ring, because I want to forget that vignette ever happened. And I love Tegan Knox coming out at the end for the save. She's really starting to grow on me here, both in the ring and from a charisma standpoint. I hope they do more with her. Um, speaking of the women, I thoroughly enjoyed the Rhea Ripley-Io Shirai match against Chelsea uh, Green and Charlotte Flair. And Chelsea Green being that surprise mystery partner was a great touch. I thought the heel work from Charlotte was fantastic throughout that entire match, basically wanting Chelsea to do all the dirty work and kind of acting like she was above the rest of the women, that she didn't want to get her hands dirty until everyone else, Rhea Ripley and uh, Io Shirai, were beaten down. Uh, The finish also made sense to me because it creates some angst ahead of the triple threat match. Uh, I liked Charlotte and Chelsea together so much that I would legitimately consider calling Chelsea up to the main roster immediately and have them be a tag team on Raw and take the titles off Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. They just work so well together. They were good in the ring. The personalities match up. uh, The idea of Charlotte kind of taking Chelsea under her arm and saying, hey, you're going to be the next big thing. And eventually six months down the line, Chelsea realizing that Flair's selfish just as much as Chelsea is selfish. That really works. They did a really weird angle coming out of this on social media and on Twitter where Chelsea Green fired Robert Stone uh, because, you know, this was the biggest moment of her career and she was so excited. And it didn't really make a lot of sense because I don't necessarily love Robert Stone and pairing him with Chelsea, but it was just starting to work. they are only a couple segments into this, and I'm really curious what's going to happen. I certainly don't think Robert Stone moving over to Aaliyah would make any sense because Aaliyah doesn't compare to Chelsea Green in the ring on the mic in any way. Uh, so that's not a feud that would make sense to me. Maybe they're going to do something where Chelsea, you know, goes on, um, NXT TV next week or the following week, loses a match and then begs Robert Stone to bring her back. And they go back and forth to that regard, you know, for a few weeks or months or whatever. And I guess that could be a storyline, but it just didn't make sense for them to do it, not do it on television. Uh, and then they're continuing it on, on Twitter. Both of them kind of have gone back and forth tweeting at each other. So it's a little strange. I'm curious to see where they go with it. Also, uh, a shout out to Mauro Ronaldo during this match. First of all, he was great all show as he has been. It's been great having him back, even if it's a, a virtual commentary thing that he's doing. But he gave a small tribute to Hana Kimura uh, during Yoshirai's entrance to basically caution people against cyberbullying. You'll remember that happened to him recently, and he has completely been off social media I think for nearly a year, if not even a little bit longer, or maybe a little bit shorter, give or take a few months. But Morrow was a great follow on Twitter, uh, but he got he gets so much hate, and certainly you remember what happened with Corey Graves, that you know he knows as well as anyone what cyberbullying can do, and considering he has you know that manic depressive um, you know condition, uh, you know the fact that he is with us and healthy and seems to be thriving in NXT is fantastic, but it was a well-taken message, uh, the one he delivered during that match. And I want to give him a lot of props for that. Uh, we talk about WWE scripting stuff too much, right? And how NXT doesn't, and that usually makes it better. But that William Regal, Adam Cole, quote-unquote, negotiation segment uh, was pretty awful. Just It just didn't work for me at all. Uh, I wish that had been somewhat scripted because it was just a mess from top to bottom. There was no actual negotiation. It was just Regal relenting to one stipulation after already deciding that Cole would fight Dream in a title match. And it was left open-ended with a venue that he would choose for their match um, when it probably should have been announced. He should have thought about it there and then said, hey, this is what the venue is going to be. Or at least teased that next week on NXT, I will announce the venue in which Adam Cole and Velveteen Dream will basically have their blow-off match. Dream won't be able to contend for the NXT title as long as Adam Cole has it if he loses this match, which to me kind of gives away, at least I think it does, that Velveteen Dream is going to win the NXT championship at In Your House. But I hope the venue is something more like Hell in a Cell or a cage match or something like that and not a pre-taped cinematic match. I don't need that from Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole when they can... Just together have a really good match. As we said, their last title match that was on NXT that certainly got interrupted and it was really, really short, it was just a taste of what they could do together. So they gave us a taste. And now that they potentially may not give us the entire thing. And I don't like the idea of that. As I said, I would have much rather them saved Fight Pit and allowed that to be the more cinematic or different pre taped match for Takeover in Your House and just given us Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole in a regular NXT championship match. So look, I'm going to hold out the criticism until I see what they actually do. But so far, I didn't like that negotiation segment and it did not make me anticipate um, what is to come in this feud. It actually makes me a little bit concerned. The vignette they aired with Oni Lorkin and Danny Burch was the most character development we've seen from either of them in years, which is great. And considering they're one of the few actual tag teams that still exist in NXT right now, I did think it was worthwhile. Uh, speaking of tag teams, in that Adam Cole segment, he mentioned something that like Undisputed Era deserved a title match, but he never fought for it as part of the negotiation. Like that should have been, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'll fight Dream if you give my guys a tag team title match, and if this is the stipulation, and then Regal kind of goes back and forth. So again, there's just so few tag teams in NXT right now that the picture, the division is basically forgotten And look, I like Imperium and I like Oney Lorcan and Danny Burch in terms of them being in-ring competitors. And I have no doubt that if and when they have a match, if they have it in your house, that it's going to be good. But I am not excited for that at all. Uh, So the tag team picture in NXT for me is just leaving much to be desired. Uh, And I'm not going to say too much about the Tommaso Ciampa segment, but I did like the idea of Scarlett being out there by herself, Ciampa being fixated on her the entire time, and Karrion Cross's promo On the big screen was good. So I did think it continued moving that forward without overexposing Cross. And that is always a positive thing. So from AEW and NXT this week, just really good stuff on both shows. There were some, you know, down points, and I think I fairly pointed them out for both. Uh, But AEW and NXT really strong. You know, the ratings will certainly come out later today. We taped this Thursday morning. So we don't know who's going to win. My anticipation is that AEW is going to come out on top again. But NXT really good. I do hope they close that gap in that final quarter hour because the main event of NXT, despite Mike Tyson being on AEW, that fight pit was better. It was the best segment period on either show. So four hours of TV fight pit for me was number one. Um, and I hope it gets the love it, it it deserves. And I have seen a lot of people being excited about it, but also with everything being so, you know, divisive these days and factionalized between AEW and WWE slash NXT uh, it kind of has fallen flat out there, and I I do think it was just truly awesome. Now, something new I'm going to be doing on this show each week, both shows, actually, the Tuesday show and the Thursday show. I'm going to do a very quick se- segment talking about what is coming up in professional wrestling. It's not every week that WWE gives us legitimate previews for its shows. AEW is very good at doing that, NXT to a lesser extent. Um, but, you know, on Tuesdays, we'll talk about what's coming up on Wednesday shows, and on our Thursday show, we will talk about what's coming up on Friday and Monday in WWE. So for SmackDown, they have nothing else advertised right now except for the two Intercontinental Championship Tournament semifinal matches. The first, Jeff Hardy against Daniel Bryan. Don't know what to expect there. My my guess is you're going to have Sheamus get involved somehow and distract Jeff Hardy, allowing Daniel Bryan to win and advance. And then Elias against AJ Styles, which I have to believe Styles is going to win, and we ultimately get Daniel Bryan against AJ Styles for the Intercontinental Championship, hopefully at Backlash in a match that I hope they give it 45 minutes. I would absolutely love to see that. It is also interesting. They're continuing the Styles Undertaker feud. They mentioned it certainly during Money in the Bank where Styles was scared by the poster and then opened up the room and saw the casket. They also did a backstage promo after SmackDown went off the air, they aired it on social media, it's on WWE.com as well, where Styles basically says he still has The Undertaker on his mind. So I don't know if that is SummerSlam, if that is Survivor Series, but considering Taker is this documentary, The Last Ride, which is very good, is still going on on WWE Network. And there's a lot of things pointing to Taker actually retiring from the ring at Survivor Series, which is not just 30 years from his debut, but it's the exact event and the exact date, and as of right now, it is scheduled to be in Texas. There's a lot leaning towards him retiring then. I'm starting to wonder if it's going to be AJ Styles who maybe retires The Undertaker and not The Fiend or Alistair Black as we expected. Uh, there's not much more uh, set for SmackDown, not much going on right now. Um, the Miz Morrison feud with Strowman is not going to get any better, so I'm sure they'll have a segment, but I'm not anticipating that. What I am curious about is to see where they go with the Bailey Sasha Banks uh, feud slash angle. I guess is probably the better way uh, to reference it right now. Now that Charlotte isn't there, so she's not going to instigate anymore, and there's not a clear cut number one contender. I could see them doing a number one contendership match or a series of matches to give Bailey a- another challenger at Backlash. Uh, I could also see them kind of giving them a week or two off and then continuing it as we get a little bit closer. To SummerSlam, we're figuring out something for them to get involved in uh, before that happens. But Bailey has basically run through the women on that SmackDown roster right now, and Sasha is really the one that is left. So, if you're not going to go into that feud soon, then you got to figure out something else for Bailey to do, or you need to make the number one contendership uh, the big feud that needs to go on with that women's division right now. But I am really curious, as I have been, I, I really like the storyline a lot with Bailey, Sasha, and all the machinations involved within. I am curious to see where that goes. And then for Raw on Monday night, certainly that is far off uh, from the taping of this show. But we do have three things announced already, four things actually. Apollo Crews will be defending the, his newly won United States Championship against an opponent of his choosing. I don't really know who that's gonna be. If it's Akira Tozawa, I think that would be interesting considering their their feuds and their past, their history. Um, if it's a situation where it is Chad Gable for some reason, they get him over... Too raw for a match like this. That would certainly be interesting. I could also see him wanting to stand up to Angel Garza after what happened to Kevin Owens last week. You'll remember two weeks ago, Cruz and Owens basically came back at the same time. Uh, Owens surprised them, Apollo and Angel Garza with Cruz in that KO show segment. So I could see him wanting to challenge Garza, beating Garza. Certainly, that would be a fantastic match. There's a champion versus champion match: Oscar against Charlotte Flair. And again, I see a lot of people online rolling their eyes at this. But folks, look, I'm being honest, I've been as critical about Charlotte Flair as anyone over a long period of time. And is she getting overexposed right now? Maybe, but in storyline and gimmick, it's working for me. She's been putting on really good matches and her appearances have been totally worthwhile on television. So Oscar Charlotte Flair, we've already seen two or three, I'm forgetting, I think it's two, really good matches between them. Give me a third and give it to me on Raw give me 15, 20 minutes, you know, I'm not going to complain about good wrestling on television. So I'm down for it. We also have all this stuff going on with Seth Rollins. By the way, I believe today is Seth, Seth's birthday. So happy birthday to Seth, our first interview here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. He will be fighting Alistair Black, which is a bit of a dream match for me. I certainly hope it was happening at a pay-per-view with a longer time, uh, but still them going one-on-one, even for, you know, 10, 12 minutes on Raw will be awesome. And then Rollins is pulling double duty and hosting the Rey Mysterio retirement ceremony, which I think, you know, some people thought may not be kayfabe when it was initially announced. And now that Rollins is hosting it, obviously it is, of course it is. And I do expect Rollins Mysterio to go down uh, at Backlash. Maybe it will even be a retirement match that Mysterio wins. But, um, you know, Mysterio and and, and Rollins, that storyline is working really well. The stuff from Rollins this past week with Murphy and uh Austin theory that worked for me Aust- uh, Rollins, as I've said before, he's really coming into his own with the Monday Night Messiah gimmick. I think it's maybe the best he's ever been in WWE and that's saying a lot considering he's had some great gimmicks and, and great runs including as the WWE champion but this Monday Night Messiah thing is really really working for him uh, and in the empty arena setting he's finding himself more than he ever has before. So that is this week's edition of Getting Over, both our Tuesday show covering everything that had to do with WWE. If you've not heard that yet, be sure to go back and listen to it. And today's show, Breaking Down the Wednesday Night Wars. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Previewing next week, of course, we're gonna have another WWE episode on Tuesday. Thursday will be our ultimate preview of NXT TakeOver in your house. Very excited for it. Can't wait to see how that card is finalized. I do hope to also have a major interview next week. It is not booked yet, but keep an eye out for that as well. And of course, Sunday night, immediately after NXT TakeOver in your house goes off the air. Instant analysis here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast and how can you thank the silver king for all this delicious audio that is about to come your way i know you're asking yourself that well here's the answer head on over to apple podcast five star rating and review i need it you want to give it it takes 30 seconds please help me out it's all about the five anything less is uncivilized don't forget. Also, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast, and you can follow me at Silverstein Adam. We will be back Tuesday. Can't wait to talk to you all again. But for now, I'm going to leave you with just three words. Bye for now.